Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a therapist and author based on the west side of Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to my podcast, named after my recent book, It's Not About the Sex. Here we have honest conversations related to compulsive sexual behavior and trauma, all from a sexual health perspective. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints and practical strategies toward establishing greater intimacy and a more deeply connected life. Let's begin. Hey, Sue. Hey, Andrew. Good to see you as always. Yeah, it's great to connect again. How are you? I've been well, it's been a few weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's been yeah. And the weeks are flying by. I don't know how you feel about that, but lately. I can't believe we're almost in May at this point. It just doesn't seem real to me. I know. It's crazy. My mother taught me that it's May gray. So we've got May gray, June gloom. But you know what? It doesn't always hold true. So we'll see what, what turns out. Yeah. Last year, I don't think it actually held true. So yeah. yeah. But here in Southern California, it is generally a time of, of some kind of fog, some kind of grayness. And of course, the sun always breaks through here in Southern California. It does for sure. And that's what I live for, honestly. Yeah. So as you know, Sue, today I have decided that it would be really cool to talk about group therapy. And you know that it's something that I'm passionate about and it's something that I've been doing a long time. And what's fun about it for me is that I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly on my growing edge. And in a conversation like we're going to have today, we get to talk about what group therapy really is about, right? Not what people kind of think it's about, but what what really goes on behind closed doors. I love it. Yes, this is, um, well, if the listeners don't know, I'm currently in a class at UCLA that's all about group therapy. So, and it's right after we're recording this. So I'm going to be super primed for that. So um, my understanding is a lot of therapists don't gravitate towards being a group therapist. Uh, Tell us how you decided to be a group therapist. Well, it's interesting because it wasn't something that I necessarily chose. It it actually fell into my lap in, in a couple different ways. So Back in the 80s, before I even chose to go towards therapy as a profession, my father was in a men's therapy group. And this was back in Philadelphia. It was at a time when he and my mother were not getting along at all. And he really needed therapy uh, to, to work on those issues and to find his voice and eventually to learn how to take the initiative to separate from my mother at the time. And so that was a really formative experience because I didn't know exactly what he was doing. All I knew is once a week, he would go to this group and he would talk with a bunch of men and he would come home seeming lighter and and more hopeful. So that was one thing that through osmosis, I kind of learned that there was something really valuable about that experience for him. Fast forward a bit, after I finished grad school back in 1992, I, believe it or not, I was looking at uh, help wanted ads in the newspaper because we didn't have Google or the internet back then, right? And 
I saw this ad and it said group leader wanted for men's groups. And I thought that's kind of interesting because my father is in a men's group. I found it interesting. I didn't know what, what this uh, want ad was really all about. But what was really interesting about it is I, I met with the folks who wanted a male to lead men's groups. And right off the bat, I, I, I just felt like it, I was in the right place, right? Like there was something about that particular private practice group, which I, by the way, at the time had no clue about. I didn't know what really what private practice was all about. But, but I knew that these two women wanted to mentor me. And I knew that men's groups were something that were kind of in my DNA. Right. Interesting. Wow. So did you take the job? I, I took the job. Yep. And what they asked me to do was to start off with one men's group. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I was leading two men's groups. And then I would be seeing some of the clients individually. I, I saw some of the clients as couples. And so I really, that established the foundation of my experience in, in private practice back then. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So can you explain the difference between a support group, a therapy group, and how is that different from a 12-step group? Sure. So one thing I want to preface this by saying is that the therapy groups that I have lead nowadays I call them interpersonal process groups. And I'll come back to that in, in a little bit. Okay. But I'm going to give you a very, very short, concise way of, of thinking about the differences between therapy groups, support groups, and 12-step groups. So a, a therapy group has a licensed therapist, usually it could be an unlicensed therapist, but definitely has a therapist as a group leader, okay? A support group generally doesn't have a group leader. It, it may or may not have um, a leader at all, actually. But generally, a support group is around a theme. So it could be something like grief, mm -hmm. or it could be something like addiction recovery, right? So a support group is more about just sharing what's going on for you and it's not so much about the interaction in the group. It's not so much about the therapeutic qualities. Again, I'll come back to what I mean by that. Therapy group, like my groups, generally require very, very consistent attendance, right? Most people in my groups are there every week unless they're sick or, or out of town. Mm -hmm. And support groups may require some level of attendance, but, but often they're drop-in. So people come and go as they please. And as I mentioned, support groups are, are surrounded by a particular theme, um, which the group members come to that support group specifically because of that, that theme. And I'll give you just a quick synopsis of some of the groups that I've, I've led early on in my career. So yeah. I first led a group for significant others of HIV and AIDS. That was one I did at a hospital. I also led a support group for the staff on the immune suppressed unit where I work and the immune suppressed unit was for HIV and AIDS. I also um, led a drop-in bereavement group, a work stress group mm -hmm. and, and coaching 
or we could call them psychoeducational groups, okay? Now, just to come all the way around, a 12-step group is generally peer-led, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no group leader. There usually is a, you know, an elected official, like a, a secretary and, um, and um, timekeeper. Exactly. Mm -hmm. People who, who have those roles. But in 12-step groups, there's actually no cross-talk allowed, no com commenting on e each other's shares. So the biggest difference is that a therapy group is really about digging into the relationships in the room, in the here and now. So it's interesting not being familiar with the different types of groups, hearing how they run and don't run or, you know, what I would expect them to, to be, because I would think some of the non-themed ones would maybe have a prompt or, or a theme, but maybe we can get to that in a little bit. Um, so it sounds like you've led a lot of different kinds of groups for many years now. Um, but nowadays you only lead therapy groups, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So why, why is that? And tell me more about how you conceptualize therapy groups. Sure. So earlier on in my career, I, fell into various types of groups based on the settings where I worked. So for instance, when I worked at a hospital, I worked, I, I led groups that were related to the hospital theme, right? In that case, HIV and AIDS. Okay. In um, Kaiser, in an outpatient psychiatry position that I was in for several years, I, I, I really focused on what they needed me to do. So the bereavement group was a weekly drop-in group. The work stress group was an eight-week psychoeducational group, right? So those kind of groups were really structured and, and handed to me based on the, the setting that I was in at the time. I've also been leading therapy groups going on almost 30 years now. And the reason why I've gravitated towards therapy groups is that I've been in private practice a long time. And honestly, I get to design them. I get to choose the people that come into the groups. I interview them and we, we collaboratively decide if the group is right for them. So I handpick the people who come to my groups, which is really, it, it's, it's a privilege to be able to, to do that. And I also, because of my own experience as a participant in therapy groups, I, I know the value and the challenge that goes along with therapy groups. And I think that the growth that I see in, in therapy groups is tremendous. So I think that's the primary reason that I, I leaned in that direction is because I just see people growing by leaps and bounds and, and really experiencing better relationships with themselves and with others mm -hmm. and, and a sense of awareness around how they impact others and how others impact them. Yeah, for sure. And so for our listeners, I would say that you, those are closed groups. And then the other ones that we were talking about that you had run in the past would be considered maybe open groups where people could just drop in and, and experience that way. Um, mm -hmm without having that uh, interview or, you know, being brought in for a particular reason. That's um, right. 
So why would someone be interested in, I, I would say, in joining a therapy group? Um, and how would they know, like, that they're ready for that growth? Like, how, at, where are they in the, in, in their decision of doing that? And what do they know or not know, I guess? Sure. So keep in mind that, that this is my way of looking at interpersonal process groups. So it may be different from, from how others might describe it. But the, the idea of interpersonal process groups, I'll break that down, is that it's really about the experience of how one impacts others and how others impact them. That's the interpersonal piece. And we could think about that as how do I feel about the other people in the group? That would be a question that's an interpersonal one. And the process really is a matter of here and now, right? The present tense, what's happening in the room and asking oneself, what's happening inside of me at any given moment, right? What's happening inside of me at any given moment? So if, if someone can answer those two questions, what's happening inside of me and how am I feeling about others in the room? That's the umbrella of what makes it an interpersonal process group. Now, just to go back to your question about why would somebody come to a group, right? Well, usually, I would say most of the time nowadays, people come to my groups after they've completed a chunk of individual therapy. So they've, they've identified their issues, they have grown from their issues, but someone has told them, or maybe they have been curious that what would it be like to work on those issues that they've identified in the context of other people, right? And one person, uh, a colleague of mine once said that it's, it's kind of like postgraduate work, mm -hmm. right? That group therapy is really, really challenging and is really the, the next step beyond um, individual therapy. So um, because the core of group is relationships, most people come to group because they want more satisfying relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so that's really the growing edge pretty much for everybody who comes to my groups. Interesting. So are you actually calling people out to ask them how they're feeling in the moment or are you allowing those moments to go? Like do people, does everyone in your group understand what you just said to me as you know, the reason that they're there? It's a great question. Yes. And no. Okay. Sometimes I do ask explicitly, especially if somebody's quiet or if I have a hunch they are not saying something. So I might just turn to somebody and say, so Eleanor, how are you feeling about what was just being said? Mm -hmm. Right. Or I, or I might just wait, right. And see what comes out and see if they participate or if there's an opportunity to come back around to them because part of what I want to do is make sure that everybody in the room is having some kind of experience of participation. Some people are automatically quieter and some are automatically more talkative. Right. That's not necessarily a measure of their participation. Okay. That's interesting. And 
do you does the group set up some rules or some things going into it in advance that you cover or go over it's something you do all together yeah so what happens is i typically meet individually four times with anyone who wants to join the group yeah. and the reason i do that is because i want to get to know them and know how to best support them in group but i also want them to get to know my style and to understand how i work now by the last session the preparatory session before they join group i i have some specific um I don't call them guidelines anymore, but it's a group agreement basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I go over the group agreement with them individually. And, and then they determine if they truly are ready to participate in this kind of group. I really want everyone to, to enter with, uh, uh with an informed decision. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so what are some of the typical themes that get discussed in groups? Sure. So as I mentioned before, relationships are always the core, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what's happening inside of me? How am I feeling toward others? How am I impacting others? How are others impacting me? So relationships, whether it be in the room, which actually are primary, although we do talk about relationships out in the world too, um, it, it is really, I would say what people take from the group the most. It's not the details that get discussed. It's really the heart connections, the honesty, the trust, and the feeling of, of, of being visible and, and understood. So that's really what would be the primary uh, reason for, for a group. Now, with that said, everything gets talked about, right? you know, whether it be sex and sexuality, whether it be addictive compulsive behaviors, whether it be anxiety, stress, depression, really anything that is going on in the room or outside of the room is, is fair to talk about. But what I'm always interested in, and this is something I'm learning myself through the years, is that it's great to, to talk about something on from the outside. Let's say you're talking about a relationship issue or a work stress issue, but is it emotionally progressive? Is what we're talking about progressing the emotional communication? Right. And so I'm always keeping my eye on that piece as well. So how about the clients that are in your group that who are in recovery from addictions or trauma, do they seem to benefit from your groups? And does everyone in your group need to be along the same, like dealing with the same recovery and addictions? You know, in, in my groups, there's always someone in the group or a few people in the group usually who have some kind of history with addictive compulsive behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. But this is where it gets a little bit gray. I don't usually bring people into group who are in the middle of an active addiction. With that said, I remember a few years ago, I did have somebody who was a pot smoker. And for some reason, I, I, I felt like there was the readiness for group. And I trusted that this particular group would have the capacity to work with this person and to deal with his 
his um, addiction to, to pot, right? Yeah. So it's not black and white, but addictions and trauma or addictive compulsive behaviors and trauma are always part of what what is underneath the underneath the surface basically and so i believe when that gets unearthed that what happens is it helps people feel less alone mm -hmm. it helps people feel like they can really talk about what's true what's truly going on both in their history and what may linger for them currently. And one of the things that I believe strongly, and I've seen this time and time again in group, is that group is, is really one of the best shame reducers of any type of therapy. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, I always quote Brene Brown on this, but Brene Brown says that we are given shame by others and we heal shame through others wow right? yeah yeah and in group there's this shame healing this shame resiliency mm -hmm. that that happens all the time when people have the courage to really share what has gone on for them in terms of of really dark heavy um shame-ridden um, memories so I would assume that would help build the cohesiveness of the group as well when that happens, which Always. is so important to have. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful because what I see is this almost domino effect. One person opens the door mm -hmm. and then it really opens a door for at least one other person, if not several people. And so this very vibrant discussion comes out of um, somebody saying something that maybe they have, haven't said in years. Maybe they've been in group for quite a while, but they've been scared to say it. And then finally they feel safe enough and in group, that's what I always say, safe enough to share something that they haven't shared before. And the healing energy, it just, just exponentially grows. Yeah. That's got to feel good. And that happens it's fantastic mm. it's i mean i i as i say it i i almost i i feel myself getting warm because it's one of the most most beautiful things that happens in group mm. it really really touches everyone in the room yeah it's nice when that is allowed and that happens yeah um so just curious how long do group members typically stay in a group it varies in, in my particular groups, people generally stay a minimum of a year or two, but some people say five years, seven years, 10 years, hmm. sometimes even longer, depending on their experience of the group. But, but more importantly, their, their sense of it being like an incubator, right? You know, I, I've had people stay as long as 20 years in my groups. And what generally happens is it's almost like a second family. Mm -hmm. It becomes like a, a weekly sanctuary. And it becomes a place where, where people just often feel like people know them in ways that, that nobody else knows them. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic to have that. So if there's one takeaway you would like our listeners to remember about therapy groups... What would that be? 
There's so many. Um, in general, group therapy is the best kept secret in town, right? There's so many people who really have these ideas, actually these myths about what group therapy is. I think through the media and through various experiences or ideas people have about group therapy, that a lot of people shy away from it. And granted, it's not for everybody, but I believe that not only are groups the most cost-effective type of, of therapy, but, but there's such a deep way to, to grow and to learn about oneself. And, you know, I, I'm happy, by the way, to be available to answer any questions that any of our listeners have, because it's one of those things that unless you are kind of behind closed doors, it, it really is a, a bit of a mystery. Sure. But, you know, group, in my opinion, is, is just something that, that I, I wish, I mean, if, if there's one thing that I wish from this episode that we're having right now, is that I, I wish that people would consider group for themselves. And, and that's whether or not they have an addictive traumatic past or not. Mm -hmm. And it's really for everyone, but it's also for those who want to feel like there's something beyond individual therapy. You know, I, I believe so wholeheartedly in individual therapy, but I do believe at some point there's just a greater opportunity to learn about yourself and to help others learn about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's really one of the cores is that where else do you get to really have that much feedback and that many mirrors in the room at the same time? Right. Yeah, no, that's a fabulous thing to have. I think, you know, sometimes in, during, in schools that our kids like should have had this opportunity at some point, you know, just an experience of, of what it means. And maybe some teachers facilitate kind of a, a group facility, uh, a group therapy type thing um, within the classrooms. But it is a gift if you can, if you can find a group that fits for you and, and um, allow yourself to be vulnerable and, and to learn how to interact with other people. I mean, we're all on this world together. We're not here as, a, as individuals. We are a group of something, whatever you wanna call it. So why not um, take the opportunity to learn a little bit more about yourself and, and become more aware of how you react to others and what you may be saying in, to others and how they may react to you. So right. thank you so much, Andrew. This it's helped me so much learn um, a little more about group therapy, mm. and I, um, I hope people reach out to you. Honestly, sure. Well, one of the things I, I just wanted to say in terms of um, gathering additional information here in Los Angeles, we have a, a very vibrant group therapy association. It's called the Group Psychotherapy Association of Los Angeles, Chapala.org for short. But nationally, there's an organization called AGPA, and that's the American Group Psychotherapy Association. And so if you're interested in finding a group in your area, all you have to do is go to the AGPA website, and there's groups really all around the country. Mm 
And nowadays, because of Zoom groups of hmm. telehealth, you can be. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are right. at any given time. You can find a group that that meets your your needs. So I, I really encourage everyone to consider, um, if not for yourself, for family members, for friends, uh, that there's all kinds of opportunities out there. That sounds great. And we'll put those in the show notes too, so people have links. Great. Thanks, Sue. Thank you for listening today. It was really fun to talk about this very valuable topic of group therapy, right? Because group therapy is something that can benefit all of us, but especially those with addictive compulsive backgrounds. So I, I really appreciate the discussion. And keep in mind that um, if you're so inclined, to give us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe and share my podcast with those who may benefit. I look forward to you joining us the next time and don't forget to stay connected. <laughs>